My dear sisters, what a joy it is to be with you today. I always look forward to this annual General Relief Society meeting and the excellent messages given here. Thank you, sisters. It is a precious honor for me to be assigned by President Monson to speak today and to add a few thoughts addressing the Sisters of the Church. A while ago, I was walking through a beautiful garden with my wife and daughter. I marveled at the glory and beauty of God's creation. And then I noticed among all the glorious blooms the tiniest flower. I knew the name of this flower because since I was a child I have had a tender connection to it. The flower is called Forget-Me-Not. I'm not exactly sure why this tiny flower has meant so much to me over the years. It does not attract immediate attention. It is easy to overlook among larger and more vibrant flowers. Yet it is just as beautiful with its rich color that mirrors that of the bluest skies. And perhaps this is one reason why I like it so much. And there is the hounding plea of its name. There is a German legend that just as God had finished naming all the plants, one was left unnamed. A tiny voice spoke out, Forget me not, O Lord. And God replied that this would be its name. Tonight, I would like to use this little flower as a metaphor. The five petals of the little forget-me-not flower prompt me to consider five things which would be wise never to forget. First, forget not to be patient with yourself. I want to tell you something that I hope you will take in the right way. God is fully aware that you and I are not perfect. Let me add, God is also fully aware that the people you think are perfect are not. <laughs> and yet, we spend so much time and energy comparing ourselves to others, usually comparing our weaknesses to their strengths. This drives us to create expectations for ourselves that are impossible to meet. As a result, we never celebrate our good efforts because they seem to be less than what someone else does. Everyone has strengths and weaknesses. It is wonderful that you have strengths. And it is part of your mortal ex experience that you do have weaknesses. God wants to help us to eventually turn all our weaknesses into strengths. But he knows that this is a long-term goal. He wants us to become perfect. And if we stay on the path of discipleship, and we heard tonight wonderful messages in this regard, one day we will. It's okay that you're not quite there yet. Keep working on it, but stop punishing yourself. Dear sisters, many of you are endlessly compassionate and patient 
with the weaknesses of others. Please remember also to be compassionate and patient with yourself. In the meantime, be thankful for all the small successes in your home, your family relationships, your education and livelihood, your church participation and personal improvement. Like the forget-me-nots, these successes may seem tiny to you, and they may go unnoticed by others, but God notices them, and they are not small to Him. If you consider success to be only the most perfect rose or dazzling orchid, you may miss some of life's sweetest experiences. For example, insisting that you have a picture-perfect family home evening each week, (laughs) even though doing so makes you and everyone around miserable, (laughs) may not be the best choice. Instead, Ask yourself, what could we do as a family that would be enjoyable and spiritual and bring us closer together? That family home evening, though it may be modest in scope and execution, may have far more positive long-term results. Our journey toward perfection is long, but we can find wonder and delight in even the tiniest steps in that journey. Now second, forget not the difference between a good sacrifice and a foolish sacrifice. An acceptable sacrifice is when we give up something good for something of far greater worth. Giving up a little sleep to help a child who is having a nightmare is a good sacrifice. We all know this. Staying up all night, jeopardizing our own health to make the perfect accessory for a daughter's Sunday outfit may not be such a good sacrifice. (laughs) Dedicating some of our time to studying the scriptures or preparing to teach a lesson is a good sacrifice. Spending many hours stitching the title of the lesson into homemade potholders for each member of your class perhaps may not be. (laughs) Every person and situation is different, and a good sacrifice in one instance might be a foolish one in another. How can we tell the difference for our own situation? We can ask ourselves, am I committing my time and energies to the things that matter most? There are so many good things to do, but we can't do all of them. Our Heavenly Father is most pleased when we sacrifice something good for something far greater in an eternal perspective. Sometimes we even may mean, this may even mean nurturing small but beautiful forget-me-not flowers instead of large, a large garden of exotic blooms. Third, Forget not to be happy now. In the beloved children's story, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the mysterious candy maker Willy Wonka hides a golden ticket in five of his candy bars and announces that whoever finds one of the tickets wins a tour 
of his factory and a lifetime supply of chocolate. Written on each golden ticket is this message. Greetings to you, the lucky finder of this golden ticket. Tremendous things are in store for you. Many wonderful surprises await you. Mystic and marvelous surprises will delight, astonish, and perplex you. In this classic children's story, worldwide children's story, people all over the world desperately yearn to find a golden ticket. Some feel that their entire future happiness depends on whether or not a golden ticket falls into their hands. In their anxiousness, people begin to forget the simple joy they used to find in a candy bar. The candy bar itself becomes an utter disappointment if it does not contain a golden ticket. So many people today are waiting for their own golden ticket. The ticket that they believe holds the key to the happiness they have always dreamed about. For some, the golden ticket may be a perfect marriage. For others, a magazine cover home. Or perhaps freedom from stress or worry. There's nothing wrong with righteous yearnings. We hope and seek after things that are virtuous, lovely, or of good report or praiseworthy. The problem comes when we put our happiness on hold as we wait for some future event, our golden ticket to appear. One woman wanted more than anything else to marry a righteous priesthood holder in the temple and be a mother and a wife. She had dreamed about this all her life, and oh, what a wonderful mother and loving wife she would be. Her home would be filled with loving kindness. Never a bitter word would be spoken. The food would never burn. And <laughs> her children, instead of hanging out with their friends, would prefer to spend their evenings and weekends with mom and dad. <laughs> this was her golden ticket. It was the one thing upon which she felt her whole existence depended. It was the one thing in all the world for which she most desperately yearned, but it never happened. And as the years went on, she became more and more withdrawn, bitter, and even angry. She could not understand why God would not grant her this righteous desire. She worked as an elementary school teacher, and being around children all day long simply reminded her that her golden ticket had never appeared. As the years passed, she became more disappointed and withdrawn. People didn't like being around her and avoided her whenever they could. She even took her frustration out on the children at school. She found herself losing her temper and swung between fits of anger and desperate loneliness. The tragedy of this story is that this dear and wonderful woman, in all her disappointment about her golden ticket, failed to notice the blessing she did have. She did not have children in her home, but she was surrounded by them in her classroom. She was not blessed with a family. But the Lord have, had given her an opportunity few people have. 
the chance to influence for good the lives of hundreds of children and families as a teacher. The lesson here is that if we spend our days waiting for fabulous roses, we could miss the beauty and wonder of the tiny forget-me-nots that are all around us. This is not to say that we should abandon hope or temper our goals. Never stop striving for the best that is within you. Never stop hoping for all of the righteous desires of your heart. But don't close your eyes and hearts to the simple and elegant beauties of each day's ordinary moments that make up a rich, well-lived life. The happiest people I know are not those who find their golden ticket. They are those who, while in pursuit of worthy goals, discover and treasure the beauty and sweetness of the everyday moments. They are the ones who, threat by daily threat, weave a tapestry of gratitude and wonder throughout their lives. These are they who are truly happy. Fourth, forget not the why of the gospel. Sometimes in the routine of our lives, we unintentionally overlook a vital aspect of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Much as one might overlook a beautiful, delicate forget-me-not. In our diligent efforts to fulfill all of the duties and obligations we take on as members of the Church, we sometimes see the gospel as a long list of tasks that we must add to our already impossibly long to-do list, as a block of time that we must somehow fit into our busy schedules. We focus on what the Lord wants us to do and how we might do it, but we sometimes forget why. My dear sisters, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not an obligation. It is a pathway marked by our loving Father in heaven, leading to happiness and peace in this life and glory and inexpressible fulfillment in the life to come. The gospel is a light that penetrates mortality and illuminates the way before us. While understanding the what and the how of the gospel is necessary, the eternal fire and majesty of the gospel springs from the why. When we understand why our Heavenly Father has given us this pattern for living, when we remember why we committed to making it a foundational part of our lives, the gospel ceases to become a burden and instead becomes a joy and a delight. It becomes precious and sweet. Let us not walk the path of discipleship with our eyes on the ground, thinking only the tasks and obligations before us. Let us not walk unaware of the beauty of the glorious earthly and spiritual landscapes that surround us. My dear sisters, seek out the majesty, the beauty, and the exhilarating joy of the why of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
The what and how of obedience marks the way. Yes. And it keeps us on the right path. But the why of obedience sanctifies our actions, transforming the mundane into the majestic. It magnifies our small acts of obedience into holy acts of consecration. Fifth, forget not that the Lord loves you. As a child, when I would look at the little forget-me-nots, I sometimes felt a little like that flower, small and very insignificant. I wondered if I would be forgotten by my family or by my Heavenly Father. Years later, I can look back on that young boy with tenderness and compassion. And I do now, do know now, I was never forgotten. And I know something else. And as an apostle of our Master Jesus Christ, I proclaim with all the certainty and conviction of my heart and soul, neither are you. You are not forgotten. Sisters, wherever you are, whatever the circumstances may be, you are not forgotten. No matter how dark your days may seem, no matter how insignificant you may feel, no matter how overshadowed you think you may be, your Heavenly Father has not forgotten you. In fact, he loves you with an infinite love. Just think of it. You are known and remembered by the most majestic, powerful, and glorious being in the universe. You are loved by the King of infinite space and everlasting time. He who created and knows the stars knows you and your name. You are the daughters of his kingdom. The psalmist wrote, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. God loves you, sisters, because you are his child. He loves you even though at times you may feel lonely and make mistakes. The love of God and the power of the restored gospel are redemptive and saving. If you will only allow his divine love into your life, it can dress any wound, heal any hurt, and soften any sorrow. My dear Relief Society sisters, you are closer to heaven than you suppose. You are destined for more than you can possibly imagine. Continue to increase in faith and personal righteousness. Accept the restored gospel of Jesus Christ as your way of life. Cherish the gift of activity in this great and true church. 
treasure the gift of service in the blessed organization of Relief Society. Continue to strengthen homes and families. Continue to seek out and help others who need your and the Lord's help. Sisters, there is something inspiring about and sublime about the little forget-me-not flower. I hope it will be a symbol of the little things that make your lives joyful and sweet. Please never forget that you must be patient and compassionate with yourselves, that some sacrifices are better than others, that you need not wait for a golden ticket to be happy. Please never forget that the why of the gospel of Jesus Christ will inspire and uplift you. And never forget that your Heavenly Father knows, loves, and cherishes you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the countless acts of love and service you offer up to so many. Thank you for all that you will yet do to bring the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ to families, to the Church, to your communities, and to the nations of the world. Sisters, we love you. It is my prayer and blessing that you will never forget that you are truly precious daughters in God's kingdom. In the sacred name of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In our day, many people are living in the midst of sadness and great confusion. They are not finding answers to their questions and are unable to meet their needs. Some have lost a sense of happiness and joy. The prophets have declared that true happiness is found in following the example and teachings of Christ. He is our Savior. He is our teacher. And He is the perfect example. His was a life of service. When we serve our neighbor, we help those who are in need. In the process, we may find solutions to our own difficulties. As we emulate the Savior, we show our love to our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, and we become more like them. King Benjamin spoke of the value of service, saying that when we are in the service of our fellow beings, we are only in the service of our God. Everyone has opportunities to give service and show love. President Thomas S. Monson has asked us to go to the rescue and serve others. He said, quote, We will discover that those whom we serve, who have felt through our labors the touch of the master hand, somehow cannot explain the change which comes into their lives. There is a desire to serve faithfully, to walk humbly, and to live more like the Savior. Having received the spiritual eyesight and glimpsed the promises of eternity, they echo the words of the blind man to whom Jesus restored sight, who said, One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. End quote. Each day, 
we have the opportunity to give help and service, doing the right thing at the right time without delay. Think of the many people who have a difficult time obtaining a job, or who are ill, who feel lonely, who even think that they have lost everything. What can you do to help? Imagine that a neighbor caught out in the rain with his car broken down, calls you for assistance. What is the right thing to do for him? When is the right time to do it? I recall an occasion we went, we went as a family to downtown Mexico City to buy clothing for our two children. They were very young. Our older son was just barely two years old, and the younger son was a year old. The street was crowded with people. While we were shopping, leading our children by the hand, we stopped for a moment to look at something. And without realizing it, we lost our older son. We did not know how, but he was not with us. Without a moment's delay, we took off running to look for him. We searched and called out for him, feeling great anguish, thinking that we might lose him forever. In our minds, we were pleading for Heavenly Father to help us find him. After a little while, we found him. There he was, innocently looking at toys through a store window. We hugged and kissed him, and we made the commitment to watch over our children diligently so that we could never lose one again. We learned that in order to go to our son's rescue, we did not need planning meaning. We simply acted, going out in search of the one who had been lost. We also learned that our son never even realized that he was lost. Brothers and sisters, there may be many who for some reason are lost from our sight and who do not know that they are lost. If we delay, we could lose them forever. For many who have need of our help, it is not necessary to create new programs or take actions which are complicated or costly. They only need our determination to serve, to do the right thing at the right time without delay. When the Savior appeared to the people of the Book of Mormon, he gave us a great example about not waiting to administer relief to those who have lost a sense of happiness and joy. Having taught the people, he saw that they were unable to understand all his words. He invited them to go to their homes and ponder the things that he had said to them. He told them to pray to the Father and prepare themselves to come again on the morrow. 
when he could return to teach them. As he concluded, he looked upon the multitude and saw them weeping, for they longed for him to stay with, him, with them. Quote, and he said unto them, Behold, my bowels are filled with compassion towards you. Have ye any that are sick among you? Bring them hither. Have ye any that are lame or blind or halt or maimed or leprous or that are withered or that are deaf or that are afflicted in any manner? Bring them hither and I will heal them for I have compassion upon you. My bowels are filled with mercy. End quote. And they brought their sick to him, and he healed them. The multitude bowed down at his feet and worshipped him and kissed his feet. And so much that they did bathe his feet with their tears. Then he commanded them that their little children should be brought, and he blessed them one by one. That is the model that Savior has given us. His love is for all, but he never loses sight of the one. I know that our Heavenly Father is loving, understanding, and patient. His Son, Jesus Christ, likewise loves us. They render help to us through their prophets. I have learned that there is a great safety in following the prophets. The rescue is still going on. President Monson said, quote, The Lord expects our thinking. He expects our action. He expects our labors. He expects our testimonies. He expects our devotion. End quote. We have a responsibility and a great opportunity there are many who need to once again experience the sweet savor of happiness and joy through activity in the church. That happiness comes from receiving the ordinances, making sacred covenants, and keeping them. The Lord needs us to help them. Let us do the right thing at the right time without delay. I testify that God lives and is our Father. Jesus Christ lives and has given his life so that we may return to the presence of our Heavenly Father. I know that he is our Savior. I know that their infinite kindness is continually made manifest. I bear witness that President Thomas S. Monson is their prophet and that this is the only true church upon the face of the earth. I know that the prophet Joseph Smith is the prophet of the restoration. I testify that the Book of Mormon is the Word of God. It gives us guidance and models to follow in order to become more like God and His beloved Son. I so declare in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> Hello. Ha, 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 ha.
I wonder who I should call upon to substitute for me. <laughs> no, it's good, brothers and sisters, to welcome you to the 181st semi-annual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This conference marks 48 years. Think of it, 48 years since I was called to the Corps of the Twelve Apostles by President David O. McKay. That was in October of 1963. It seems impossible that so many years have come and gone since then. When we're busy, time seems to pass far too quickly, and the past six months have been no exception for me. One of the highlights during that period was the opportunity I had to rededicate the Atlanta, Georgia Temple on May 1st. I was accompanied by Elder and Sister M. Russell Ballard, Elder and Sister Walter F. Gonzalez, and Elder and Sister William R. Walker during the cultural celebration entitled Southern Lights, held the evening prior to the prededication. 2,700 young men and young women from throughout the Temple District performed. It was one of the most outstanding programs I've seen and had the audience on its feet several times for standing ovations. The following day, the temple was rededicated in two sessions where the Spirit of the Lord was with us in rich abundance. During the latter part of August, President Henry B. Eyring dedicated the San Salvador El Salvador Temple. He was accompanied by Sister Eyring and Elder and Sister D. Todd Christofferson, Elder and Sister William R. Walker, and Sister Sylvia Allred of the Relief Society, General Presidency, and her husband, Jeffrey. President Eyring reported that it was a most spiritual event. In the latter part of this year, President Dieter F. Uchtdorf and Sister Uchtdorf will travel with other general authorities to Quetzaltenango—don't spell it—Guatemala where he will dedicate our temple there. The building of temples continues uninterrupted, brothers and sisters. Today is my privilege to announce several new temples. First, may I mention that no church-built facility is more important than a temple. Temples are places where relationships are sealed together to last through the eternities. We're grateful for all the many temples across the world and for the blessing they are in the lives of our members. Late last year, the Provo Tabernacle in Utah County was seriously damaged by a terrible fire. This wonderful building, much beloved by generations of Latter-day Saints, was left with only the exterior walls standing. After careful study, we've decided to rebuild it with full preservation and restoration of the exterior to become the second temple of the Church in the city of Provo. The existing Provo Temple is one of the busiest in the Church, and a second temple there will facilitate the increasing numbers of faithful Church members who are attending the temple from Provo and the surrounding communities. I am also pleased to announce new temples in the following locations. Barranquilla, Colombia, Durban, South Africa, Kinshasa, and the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and Star Valley, Wyoming. 
I think I'll dedicate that one. <laughs> it's good fishing up there. In addition, we're moving forward on our plans for a temple to be built in Paris, France. Details of these temples will be provided in the future as site and other necessary approvals are obtained. I mentioned in previous conferences the progress we're making in placing temples closer to our members. Although they are readily available to many members in the Church, there are still areas of the world where temples are so distant from our members that they cannot afford the travel required to get to them. They are thus unable to partake of the sacred and eternal blessings temples provide. To help in this regard, we have available what is called the General Temple Patron Assistance Fund. This fund provides a one-time visit to the temple for those who otherwise would not be able to go to the temple and yet who long desperately for that opportunity. Any who might wish to contribute to this fund can simply write in the information on the normal contribution slip which is given to the bishop each month. Now, brothers and sisters, it's my prayer that we may be filled with the Spirit of the Lord as we listen to the messages today and tomorrow and learn those things the Lord would have us know. And this I pray for in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I served as a young missionary for several months in the central areas of Lima, Peru. As a result, I crossed Lima's Plaza de Armas many times. The government palace, the official residence and office of Peru's president, faces the plaza. My companions and I invited people in the plaza to hear the restored gospel. I often wondered then what it would be like to enter the palace, but the thought of ever doing so seemed wildly remote. Last year, Elder Detog Christofferson of the Quorum of the Twelve, a few others, and I met with Alan Garcia, then the President of Peru, in the government palace. We were shown its beautiful rooms and cordially received by President Garcia. My young missionary wonderings about the palace were fulfilled in a way that I would never have dreamed possible in 1970. Things have changed in Peru since I was a missionary, especially for the Church. There were about 11,000 members of the Church there then and just one stake. Today there are more than 500,000 members and almost 100 stakes. In towns where there were just little groups of members, vibrant stakes and attractive meeting houses now grace the land. This same sort of thing has happened in many other countries around the world. This remarkable Church growth deserves explanation. We begin with a prophecy from the Old Testament. Daniel was a Hebrew slave in Babylon. He was given the opportunity to interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Daniel asked God to reveal to him the dream and its interpretation, and his prayer was answered. He told Nebuchadnezzar, There is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets, and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. The vision of thy head upon thy bed, the visions of thy, 
thy head upon thy bed are these. He said the king had seen a frightening image with a head, torso, arms, legs, and feet. A stone was cut out of a mountain without hands and rolled forth gradually growing in size. That stone collided with the image, breaking it into pieces. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Daniel explained that the image represented future political kingdoms and that in the days of those future kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. We now go to more recent times. The angel Moroni first appeared to Joseph Smith in 1823 and told him that God had a work for him to do and that his name should be had for good and evil among all nations, kindreds, and tongues. Moroni's message surely must have astonished Joseph, who was just 17. In 1831, the Lord told Joseph that the keys of the kingdom had been had again been committed unto man on the earth. He said the gospel would roll forth unto the ends of the earth as the stone which is cut out of of the mountain without hands until it has filled the whole earth, just as Daniel had told Nebuchadnezzar. In 1898, President Wilfred Woodruff recounted an experience he had as a new member in 1834 at a priesthood meeting near Kirtland. He related, quote, The prophet called on all who held the priesthood to gather into the little log schoolhouse they had there. It was a small house, perhaps 14 feet square. When we got together, the prophet called upon the elders of Israel to bear testimony of this work. When they got through, the prophet said, Brethren, I have been very much edified and instructed in your testimonies here tonight. But I want to say to you before the Lord that you know no more concerning the destinies of this church and kingdom than a babe upon its mother's lap. You don't comprehend it. It's only a little handful of priesthood you see here tonight. But this church will fill North and South America. It will fill the world. These prophecies that the kingdom of God like a stone cut out of a mountain would fill the earth, the name of Joseph Smith would be known throughout the world, and the church would fill the Americas and fill the world, might have seemed laughable 150 years ago. The little band of believers eking out a living on the American frontier and moving to escape persecution didn't look like the foundation of a faith that would cross international borders and penetrate hearts everywhere. But that is just what has happened. Let me give an example. On Christmas Day, 1925, in Buenos Aires, Argentina, Elder Melvin J. Ballard dedicated the entire continent of South America for the preaching of the gospel. By August 1926, a handful of converts had been baptized. They were the first members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints baptized in all of South America. That was 85 years ago, within the lifespan of many who are listening to this conference today. 
There are 23 stakes of Zion in Buenos Aires today, with dozens of stakes and tens of thousands of church members in cities and towns across Argentina. Now there are well over 600 stakes and several million church members throughout South America. While we watch, the kingdom of God is filling the continent and the name of Joseph Smith is being published, both by us and by his detractors, in countries he may never even have heard of during his lifetime. There are nearly 3,000 stakes in the worldwide church today, from Boston to Bangkok and from Mexico City to Moscow. We are approaching 29,000 wards and branches. In many countries, there are mature stakes with members whose ancestors were converts. In others, small groups of Church members meet as tiny Church branches in rented houses. Every year, the Church spreads farther and farther across the globe. These prophecies about filling the world and being known world over preposterous? Perhaps. Unlikely? Undoubtedly. Impossible? Emphatically, no. It is happening before our eyes. President Gordon B. Hinckley observed, quote, It was said that at one time the sun never set on the British Empire. That empire has now been diminished. But it is true that the sun never sets on this work of the Lord as it is touching the lives of people across the earth. And this is only the beginning. We have scarcely scratched the surface. Our work knows no boundaries. Those nations now closed to us will someday be open. End quote. Today we can see that the fulfillment of a Book of Mormon prophecy draws close. And it shall come to pass that kings shall shut their mouths, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. For in that day, for my sake, shall the Father work a work which shall be a great and a marvelous work among them. This work of the Lord is indeed great and marvelous, but it moves forward essentially unnoticed by many of mankind's political, cultural, and academic leaders. It progresses one heart and one family at a time, silently and unobtrusively. Its sacred message blessing people everywhere. A verse in the Book of Mormon provides a key to the miraculous growth of the Church today. And moreover, I say unto you that the time shall come when the knowledge of a Savior shall spread throughout every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Our most important message, which we are both divinely commissioned and commanded to take everywhere in the world, is that there is a Savior. He lived in the meridian of time. He atoned for our sins, was crucified, and was resurrected. That matchless message, which we proclaim with authority from God, is the real reason this Church grows as it does. I testify that he appeared with his father to Joseph Smith. Under the direction of the father, he established his gospel anew upon the earth. He sent apostles, prophets, and priesthood keys to the earth again. He leads his church through a living prophet, President Thomas S. Monson. 
His church is that stone cut out of the mountain without hands that rolls forward across the globe. We are grateful for Joseph Smith and watch with wonder as his name is revered and, yes, even reviled ever more widely across the earth. But we recognize that this mighty Latter-day work is not about him. It is the work of Almighty God and His Son, the Prince of Peace. I testify that Jesus Christ is the Savior, and with you stand in awe as this work moves forward miraculously, marvelously, and irresistibly. Indeed, the time has come when the knowledge of a Savior spreads throughout every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. I bear testimony of Him, the Savior of all mankind, and of this work in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Many years ago, when I was a college student, I was listening to General Conference on the radio since we did not have TV in our small apartment. The conference speakers were marvelous, and I was enjoying an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I remember well as one general authority spoke about the Savior and then his ministry, and then he bore a fervent testimony. The Holy Spirit confirmed to my soul that he had spoken the truth. At that moment, I had no doubt that the Savior lives. I also had no doubt that I was experiencing personal revelation, which confirmed to me that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. As an eight-year-old child, I was baptized and confirmed and received the gift of the Holy Ghost. It was a wonderful blessing then, but has become increasingly important as I have grown and experienced the gift of the Holy Ghost in many ways since then. Often, as we grow from childhood to adolescence and then to adulthood, we have challenges and experiences along the way which cause us to know that we need the divine help that comes through the Holy Spirit. As struggles come, we may ask ourselves, what is the answer to my problem? How can I know what to do? I often remember the account in the Book of Mormon about Lehi teaching his family the gospel. He shared with them many revelations and teachings about things to come in the latter days. Nephi had sought the guidance of the Lord in order to more fully understand the teachings of his father. He was lifted and blessed and inspired to know that the teachings of his father were true. That enabled Nephi to carefully follow the commandments of the Lord and live a righteous life. He received personal revelation to guide him. On the other hand, his brethren were disputing with each other because they did not understand the teachings of their father. Nephi then asked a very important question. Have ye inquired of the Lord? Their response was a weak one. We have not, for the Lord maketh no such thing known unto us. Nephi took that opportunity to teach his brethren how to receive personal revelation. He said, Do ye not remember the things which the Lord hath said? If ye will not harden your hearts and ask me in faith, believing that ye shall receive with diligence in keeping my commandments, surely these things shall be made known unto you. 
the way to receive personal revelation is really quite clear. We need to desire to receive revelation. We must not harden our hearts. And then we need to ask in faith, truly believe that we will receive an answer, and then diligently keep the commandments of God. Following this pattern does not mean every time we ask a question of God, the answer will immediately appear with every detail of what to do. However, it does mean that if we diligently keep the commandments and ask in faith, answers will come in the Lord's own way and in His time. As a child, I thought personal revelation or answers to prayers would come as an audible voice. Indeed, some revelation does come by hearing an actual voice. However, I have learned that the Spirit speaks in many ways. Doctrine and Covenants, Section 6, explains several ways in which we can receive revelation. Thou hast inquired of me, and behold, as often as thou hast inquired, thou hast received instructions of my Spirit. I did enlighten thy mind. Did I not speak peace to your mind concerning the matter? In other scriptures, we learn more about receiving revelation. I will tell you in your mind and in your heart, by the Holy Ghost which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. Now behold, this is the spirit of revelation. I will cause that your bosom shall burn within you, therefore you shall feel that it is right. I will impart unto you of my spirit, which shall enlighten your mind, which shall fill your soul with joy. Most often, personal revelation will come as we study the scriptures, listen to, the, listen to and follow the counsel of prophets and other church leaders, and seek to live faithful, righteous lives. Sometimes inspiration will come from a single verse of scripture or from a line in a conference talk. Perhaps your answer will come when the primary children are singing a beautiful song. These are all forms of revelation. In the early days of the Restoration, many members diligently sought revelation and were blessed and inspired to know what to do. Sister Eliza R. Snow was given a charge from the prophet Brigham Young to help lift and teach the sisters of the Church. She taught that individual women could receive inspiration to guide them in their personal lives, their families, and their Church responsibilities. She said, Tell the sisters to go forth and discharge their duties in humility and faithfulness, and the Spirit of God will rest upon them, and they will be blessed in their labors. Let them seek for wisdom instead of power, and they will have all the power they have the wisdom to exercise. Sister Snow taught the sisters to seek guidance from the Holy Ghost. She said that the Holy Ghost satisfies and fills up every longing of the human heart and fills up every vacuum. When I am filled with that Spirit, my soul is satisfied. President Uchtdorf has taught that revelation and testimony do not always come with overwhelming force. For many, a testimony comes slowly, a piece at a time. He further said, Let us earnestly seek the light of personal inspiration. Let us plead with the Lord to endow our mind and soul with the spark of faith that will enable us to receive and recognize the divine ministering of the Holy Spirit. Our testimonies fortify us and strengthen us as we face challenges in our daily lives. 
Some people struggle with difficult health problems. Some experience financial problems. Others have challenges with their marriage or with their children. Some suffer from loneliness or unfulfilled hopes and dreams. It is our testimony, combined with our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and our knowledge of the plan of salvation, which helps get us through these times of trial and hardship. In the book, Daughters in My Kingdom, we read about Sister Hedwig Bierreichel, a woman in Germany who suffered much sorrow and deprivation during World War II. Because of her love and charitable nature, and even in her own great need, she willingly shared her food with a starving prisoner of war. Later, when asked how she was able to keep her testimony during all those, those trials, she replied, I didn't keep a testimony through those times. The testimony kept me. Because we have a strong testimony doesn't mean it will always remain that way. We must nourish it and strengthen it in order that it will have sufficient power to sustain us. That is one reason why we meet together oft, so we can partake of the sacrament, renew our covenants, and be nourished by the good word of God. It is the good word of God that keeps us continually watchful unto prayer, relying alone upon the merits of Christ, who was the author and finisher of our faith. Elder David A. Bednar has taught us, As you appropriately seek for and apply unto the spirit of revelation, I promise you will walk in the light of the Lord. Sometimes the spirit of revelation will operate immediately and intensely, other times subtly and gradually, and often so delicately you may not even be consciously may not even consciously recognize it. But regardless of the pattern whereby this blessing is received, the light it provides will illuminate and enlarge your soul, enlighten your understanding, and direct and protect you and your family. The Lord desires to bless us with guidance, wisdom, and direction in our lives. He desires to pour down His Spirit upon us, Again, for personal revelation, we need to desire to receive it. We must not harden our hearts. And then we need to ask in faith, truly believing that we will receive an answer and then diligently keep the commandments of God. Then as we seek answers to our questions, He will bless us with His Holy Spirit. Of this I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Those of us who come to this pulpit during conference feel the power of your prayers. We need them, and we thank you for them. Our Father in Heaven understood that for us to make the desired progress during our mortal probation, we would need to face difficult challenges. Some of these would be almost overpowering. He provided tools to help us be successful in our mortal probation. One set of those tools is the scriptures. Throughout the ages, Father in Heaven has inspired select men and women to find, through the guidance of the Holy Ghost, solutions to life's most perplexing problems. He's inspired those authorized servants to record those solutions as a type of handbook for those of his children 
who have faith in his plan of happiness and in his beloved Son, Jesus Christ. We have ready access to this guidance through the treasure we call the Standard Works. That is, the Old and New Testaments, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and, of course, the Pearl of Great Price. Because scriptures are generated from inspired communication through the Holy Ghost, they are pure truth. We need not be concerned about the validity of concepts contained in the standard works, since the Holy Ghost has been the instrument which has motivated and inspired those individuals who have recorded the scriptures. Scriptures are like packets of light that illuminate our minds and give place to guidance and inspiration from on high. They can become the key to open the channel to communion with Father in Heaven and His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. The scriptures provide the strength of authority to our declarations when they are cited correctly. They can become stalwart friends that are not limited by geography or calendar. They are always available when needed. Their use provides a foundation of truth that can be awakened by the Holy Ghost. Learning and pondering, searching and memorizing scriptures is like filling a cabinet, filing cabinet with friends, values, and truths that can be called upon any time, anywhere in the world. Great power can come from memorizing scriptures. To memorize a scripture is to forge a new friendship. It's like discovering a new individual who can help in time of need, give inspiration and comfort, and be a source of motivation for needed change. For example, committing to memory this psalm has been, for me, a source of power and understanding. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Pondering a scripture like that gives a great deal of direction to life. The scriptures can form a foundation of support. They can provide an incredibly large resource of willing friends who can help us. A memorized scripture becomes an enduring friend that is not weakened with the passage of time. Pondering a passage of scripture can be the key to unlock revelation and the guidance and inspiration of the Holy Ghost.
Scripture can calm an agitated soul, giving peace, hope, and a restoration of confidence in one's ability to overcome the challenges of life. They have potent power to heal emotional challenges, and when there is faith in the Savior, they can accelerate physical healing. Scriptures can communicate different meanings at different times in our life according to our needs. A scripture that we may have read many times can take on nuances, nuances of meaning that are refreshing and insightful when we face a new challenge in life. How do you personally use scriptures? Do you mark your copy? Do you put notes in the margin to remember a moment of spiritual guidance or experience that has taught you a profound lesson? Do you use all of the standard works, including the Old Testament? I have found precious truths on the pages of the Old Testament that are key ingredients to the platform of truth and that guides my life and acts as a resource when I try to share a gospel message with others. For that reason, I love the Old Testament. I find precious jewels of truth spread throughout its pages. For example, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary in his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. The New Testament is also a source of diamond truth. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou hast thrice denied that thou knowest me. 
But a certain maid beheld him as he sat in the fire and earnestly looked upon him, and he said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after another, confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow was also with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. How my heart aches for what happened to Peter on that occasion. This scripture from the Doctrine and Covenants has blessed my life richly. Seek not to declare my word, but seek first to obtain my word. And then shall your tongue be loosed. Then, if you desire, you shall have my spirit and my word, yea, the power of God unto the convincing of men. In my judgment, the Book of Mormon teaches truth with unique clarity and power. For example, and now I would that you should be humble and be submissive and gentle, easy to be entreated, full of patience and long-suffering, being tempered in all things, being diligent in keeping the commandments of God at all times, asking for whatsoever the things you stand in need, both spiritual and temporal, always returning thanks unto God for whatsoever things you do receive, and see that you have faith, hope, and charity, and then you will always abound in good works. And another, and charity suffereth long, and is, not, and is kind, and if not, and is not puffed up, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, and rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, if ye have not charity, ye are nothing. For charity never faileth. Wherefore, cleave unto charity, which is the greatest of all, for all things must fail. But charity is the pure love of Christ, and it endureth forever. And whoso is found possessed of it at the last day, it shall be well with him. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, pray unto the Father with all the energy of heart, that ye may be filled with his love, which he hath bestowed upon all who are true followers of his Son, Jesus Christ, that ye may become the sons of God, that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, that we may have this hope 
that we may be purified even as he is pure. My precious wife, Janine, loved the Book of Mormon. In her youth as a teenager, it became the foundation of her life. It was a source of testimony and teaching during her full-time missionary service in the Northwest, United States. When we served in the mission field in Cordoba, she strongly encouraged the use of the Book of Mormon in our proselyting efforts. Janine confirmed early in her life that those who consistently read the Book of Mormon are blessed with an added measure of the Spirit of the Lord, a greater resolve to obey His commandments, and a stronger testimony of the divinity of the Son of God. For I don't know how many years, as the end of the year approached, I would see her sitting quietly, carefully finish the entire Book of Mormon yet another time before year's end. In 1991, I wanted to give a special Christmas gift to my family. In recording the fulfillment of that desire, my personal journal states, quote, It is 12.38 p.m. Wednesday, December 18, 1991. I have just concluded an audio recording of the Book of Mormon for my family. This has been an experience that has increased my testimony of this divine work and strengthened in me a desire to be more familiar with its pages, to distill from these scriptures truths to be used in my service to the Lord. I love this book. I testify with my soul that it is true, that it was prepared for the blessing of the House of Israel and all of its component parts spread throughout the world. <coughs> all who would study its message in humility and faith, believing in Jesus Christ, will know of its truthfulness and will find a treasure to lead them to greater happiness, peace, and attainment in this life. I testify by all that is sacred, this book is true. May each of us avail ourselves of the wealth of blessings that result from scriptural study. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.